Do you hear that? That is the sound of the divine flowing in you and through you, uniting all that is earth and atmosphere, all that has been called very good. All are welcome to come rest in my garden. Its gates are flung wide open. Your hunger was never a sin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Faithonomics podcast, a podcast recorded live that seeks to elevate the stories and honor the lived experiences of faith-inspired doers, from authors and activists to clergy and social entrepreneurs. My name is Ray Slam. I am your host, and today I am thrilled to be joined by Kirby Jones, a current graduate student in divinity and counseling at Wake Forest University, a poet and author of Regenesis, breathing new life into the narratives of women in the Bible. Kirby, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So today's episode, we are focusing on your recent publication, Regenesis, which is this beautiful and creative collection of poetry that invites its readers to re-examine and grapple with some, dare I say, very problematic biblical texts, especially from the perspectives of women and queer identifying individuals. So to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about how this project first began to take root? Or in other words, what prompted you to start writing this which became Regenesis. Yeah, for sure. So my sophomore year of college, I was taking a poetry writing class, and I just sort of noticed that um, a lot of my work was gravitating towards religious themes and imagery. Um, And actually, for even like probably about a year before um, I took that class, I sort of had that refrain from the creation poem. So there was morning and evening, the first day, et cetera, et cetera, kind of stuck in my head as like a container for a poem. Um, and so I just kind of needed that, like, um, accountability, I guess, of, you know, having deadlines, having things that I actually had to turn in. So I wrote the first poem in the collection, Regenesis, and then, um, that, um, semester I applied for some research funding to do kind of a more full collection and write it over the summer. Um, and then I actually didn't get the funding. So, um, I was like, well, this is still a project I really want to do. Um, these stories, I'm very drawn to them. Um, they're very interesting to me, but I kind of, you know, once I didn't have that, um, more compressed time frame, I started to kind of take my time with it. Um, and then, yeah, it ended up taking quite a while, but I'm glad it's here now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I think for a lot of us who are working on, a, you know, a certain project that is kind of outside the traditional scope of like a nine to five or a very set like uh, uh, assignment due for a class, um, there's something to be said about how we sustain our creativity over time, right? So yeah. um, I, you, you just mentioned you started as you started this project really as a sophomore uh, in college, and and you didn't publish it until you were a graduate student at Wake Forest uh, University. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, how did you kind of sustain that creativity over, over, over all those years to kind of keep working at this project, even if it was moving at a little bit slower of a pace than you originally thought? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think the biggest thing was really giving myself permission to take time with it and, um, not kind of 
force myself to just crank it out. You know, that was kind of something that was good about self-publishing. You know, I really had no deadlines other than my own kind of timeframes that I was working with. Um, so once I kind of had the bones of the collection, um, you know, once I picked the stories I was going to talk about, sort of the themes I wanted to touch on, I would take like sometimes just like months on a single poem working with like the images that I, um, wanted to include some of the like theological themes that I really wanted to integrate, um, and having that sort of flexibility and, um, hmm, almost like luxury of having so much time really prevented me from getting burnt out with the project and like kind of keeping that, that passion, you know, it was something I always knew I could come back to. Um, but it wasn't something that I felt like I was constantly wrestling with. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so you, you just, uh, mentioned two things. Uh, one, uh, that this is a self-published work and, um, we are going to come back to that point in, in just a moment. Cause I know yeah. there, there are listeners who, um, have something to share with the world and, and want yeah. to kind of explore the publishing landscape, but don't know where to start. Um, and I know they would love to get your uh, perspective on that. But um, you also mentioned kind of this, you know, uh, kind of deciding which biblical texts you wanted to wrestle with and then giving your time to wrestle with them uh, as you were uh, writing. So um, one thing I really liked about Regenesis is that each uh, piece of poetry is tied to a certain biblical text. And, um, and it's written in a way to where, you know, I, I found myself kind of uh, reading a piece and then being like, oh, like I need to go back and reread this for myself in the Bible. Sure. So I can uh, kind of like uh, get the full experience of of, of reading uh, this poetry from, from a different perspective or, or from this text from a different perspective. So there's a lot of scripture in the Bible and there's a lot of scripture where uh, women are present, but their voices are being suppressed. So how did you like, what was the process like for choosing which stories you wanted to focus on? Was it something that just kind of came more naturally or uh, did you really have to do some deep diving and, and kind of picking and choosing which, which text? Yeah, definitely. I think it was a little bit of both, um, especially, um, when thinking about incorporating women from the New Testament, like there's the Marys. And then I was like, uh, okay, like we just don't have a ton about um, other women from that part of the Bible. But um, I think kind of knowing that I wanted to work with the theme of Regenesis gave me a really good framework for like breaking the collection up into the different days of creation and then choosing my um, characters and my text based on those like kind of overarching themes and so some um some of the texts like were really intuitive to tie to those ideas like um one of the sections is body and so for me the story of the levite's concubine in judges 19 was like a very intuitive text to tie to that um theme and then others were a little bit more complicated like um fire I really struggled with like finding a woman, a woman in the New Testament to incorporate. So I ended up going with more of a like general theme of prophecy and Pentecost um, and sort of looking at the idea of um, the Holy Spirit and like being filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit through like a more feminine lens. Mm. Mm, thank you. Yeah. So um, you you've kind of mentioned this um, 
this desire of leaning into the the theme of kind of a, a new creation, a recreation mm -hmm. of, of this. Um, and in your in introductory note to the reader, um, you talk a little bit about why you originally chose to name the collection Regenesis, um, because you saw it as this kind of restoring the narrative about women in the scripture. Um, but you also mentioned that as you continue to bring this project to life, you found yourself starting to interplay with a different theme. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you could tell us more about kind of this new perspective that arose for you and uh, kind of what were the outside factors, whether it was classes in school or lived experiences, things like that, like that, that started to, uh, you started to kind of see that theme bubble up in your writing. Yeah, definitely. So um, the theme that I started leaning into more and more was this idea of women in the natural world. Um, and that came partially from sort of lived experiences I was having as well as classes I was taking at Wake Dip. I think during the early days of the pandemic, I was living alone. Um, and so I got a lot of not just like solace and comfort, but also companionship from being out in the natural world because we weren't having classes in person. I wasn't really seeing like relatives very often. Um, yeah, so I found a lot of kinship with my surroundings during that time. And then um, when we did start classes in person again, I was taking an eco-theology class at Wake, and that really, like, kind of cracked open my lens of the ways um, the natural world has been subjugated within theology and the ways that the subjugation of creation um, and the subjugation of women and other gender minorities have been um, kind of parallel to each other. Um, so I thought about making those themes more explicit in my work, but... I think a lot of those like natural images were sort of already present in what I was writing. Um, so I kind of just tried to bring them out a little bit more and make them more explicit in the final version. Very nice. And I, um, I, I guess I just now like realized that uh, a large part of this work was like COVID era. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you're, you're right. I, you know, we all live through it and often uh, kind of the outdoors was our only escape uh, during, during that time. So um, it's, it's great to kind of hear how that played a role in uh, helping shape the final version of, of this collection. It's true. Yeah, uh, definitely. So. Um, well, so uh, you also mentioned kind of uh, kind of being in class and and how class at uh, Wake Forest University School of Divinity in particular was helping you think about theology and, and things in different uh, capacities. I wonder if there um, are, are professors or friends or other authors who kind of inspired you or influenced you through this through this project and and who who are those people like how were they inspirational to you and uh, kind of what what did they bring to the to the table for you yeah um I mean I think my eco theology class so Dr. G the professor of that class was obviously a big one for me and unfortunately I wasn't able to take a class with Dr. Melanie Harris but her um ideas on eco-womanism and that framework have also been really interesting for me. And I've kind of read some of that work in my other classes. Um, I think um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer was super influential. Um, and trying to think, I think kind of leaning into some like um, Christian mystic practices and authors like um, Julian of Norwich and um, St. Francis of Assisi 
um, are sort of some of my like spiritual influences and also some of my like artistic influences as well. Um, so I definitely found myself sort of returning to those ideas and influences as I was writing and kind of um, as fuel to finish the project. Awesome. And uh, I just want to clarify to make sure that I heard you right. So did you say Dr. G as in Dr. Gandolfo? Yes. Okay, awesome. I just want to clarify <laughs> for um, our listeners, the, the two names that you mentioned there uh, are, are Dr. Elizabeth uh, Gandolfo um, and uh, Dr. Melanie Harris, which is the professor that you were not able to take a course with. Um, both, of, yes. both of those um, phenomenal uh, scholars are at Wake Forest University School of Divinity. Dr. Melanie Harris is the professor of Black Feminist Thought and Womanist Theology, also the director of the Food, Health, and Ecological Wellbeing Program. So uh, definitely some overlap there. And I'm sad to hear that you were unable to take a class with her while you were yeah. within the Divinity School. Um, but uh, Dr. Elizabeth Gandolfo is currently serving as the Associate Dean for Academic Affairs at Wake Forest School of Divinity and is also uh, the Associate Professor of Catholic and Latin American uh, Studies uh, and is really doing some phenomenal uh, work around kind of uh, the body and, and the theology of the body, which is really uh, awesome. So I can see how those two women in particular have inspired you, but yeah. it's also great to hear like, uh, you know, the kind of historical uh, narratives that continue to uh, bring inspiration to your work uh, as well. Um, yeah. All right. So I want to... Um, uh, kind of pivot here uh, a little bit away from the work, and we'll we'll come back uh, to the work in in just a moment. But uh, you mentioned earlier that this is a self published work. Uh, it's something that um, is available for uh, purchase on Amazon, and I'll be sure to share that link uh, to uh, all of our listeners uh, so they can go and get their own copy. Um, but I wonder if you would be open to sharing a little bit about what that process was like. So first off, like why did you choose the self publishing route as opposed to kind of the more traditional uh, publishing house route? Right. Um, and then what were some of the unique challenges or um, kind of pros that you found as a part of that process? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I found, especially when it comes to poetry, that um, working with traditional publishers can be very difficult. Poetry is already sort of a niche market. And then um, within that, my collection is even more niche. Um, like we were talking before we started recording about how sometimes you'll like read a poem and then go run to the Bible and read that text. And, you know, that's just not necessarily an endeavor all readers are wanting to undertake. Um, yeah, so I sort of knew that um, traditional publishing wasn't necessarily going to be the route for me unless I was going to write like a lot more poems. Um, and I really, at least for our first edition, wanted to keep um, Regenesis kind of short and sweet. So I did decide to go the self-publishing route. And I think, you know, after a while, I had kind of written all the poems and I was like, you know, like, is this even worth putting out into the world? Um, but I actually ended up using the poems for a... Um, for um, Dr. Gandolfo's eco-theology class. And she was super complimentary of the writing and the perspective. Um, so I did decide that it was something that I really did want to share. Um, and I didn't necessarily care a ton about like reaching a huge audience or making a lot of money. Poetry is definitely not um, a very lucrative genre. I just wanted 
wanted to have my voice out there and um, for people who wanted to wrestle with these texts to have the opportunity to. Um, yeah, so I mean, it was pretty much as simple as uploading a document to Amazon and making a cover on Canva. Um, I did kind of wrestle with some of the more like ethical aspects of self-publishing, um, especially working with um, Amazon. I did just ultimately find that that was going to be the easiest way for readers to get access to um, the text with a lot of like smaller self-publishing companies. There were um, a lot more like shipping and printing charges. So I wasn't sure that that would be um, as accessible for readers. Um, yeah, but the process in that regard was pretty easy and streamlined. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges was just kind of having to do all of my self-promotion, but I also in some ways enjoyed that because I found I could be as creative or boring as I wanted um, mm -hmm. in how I marketed. So I, you know, would reach out directly to people who I thought would be interested in reading it. And then in kind of the weeks um, leading up to when I released the collection, um, I made like a Spotify playlist and like shared that with all of my followers on social media, um, releasing like the table of contents and like a preview of a poem. Um, yeah, so I really got to make the process my own um, and also keep um, total creative control over the text itself, um, mm -hmm. which at least for this project, I think turned out to be the right direction for me. Yeah, definitely. Thank you uh, for, for all of that. I, I feel like I resonated with so much of what you just said, and I am not an author. I am uh, trying to be a, a social entrepreneur with Faithonomics, but um, everything uh, you kind of talked about there, like I was like, oh, I, I, I'm feeling those same feelings uh, as well from like uh, kind of, you know, making the ethical decisions of, of who do I work with, who do, who is hosting my website and who's hosting my right. podcast and, and things like that. Um, even if, uh, you know, it, it may not be kind of the, the ideal uh, company or, or whatever, I may have some ethical qualms with that com uh, company. Sure. Um, but also the like the self-promoting piece uh, is really what I was like, <laughs> oh, that's like the, I've, I've not been able to put into words, uh, uh, what I think you just did for me, but uh, kind of moving at my my own pace and and really my own brand. Like I'm I'm mm -hmm. getting to do this in a way that is uh, you know authentically race, uh, just like self publishing allowed you to uh, you know get your work and and words out there into the world in a way that was authentically Kirby, which I think is um, uh, very important for uh, many of us who identify as queer or female mm -hmm. or in another traditionally marginalized uh, community. Um, it's very easy for us to lose ourselves in, in process, yeah. uh, right? Because we've, it's what we've been taught to do our entire lives. Uh, so, um, you know, this, uh, for you, like self-publishing was a way that you got to uh, kind of retain your identity and your creativity through it. So I really love that. Thank you for, Definitely. for sharing. Um, all right. So as we start to wind down, um, I want to circle back uh, kind of into the work and yeah. um, ask you if there's a particular piece in the collection that to this day continues to kind of draw you in or or hold a particular special place in your soul. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. The one that's stood out for me um, is definitely The Garden, which I read a few lines from 
earlier in the recording. Um, I think a lot of these poems, I wrote them kind of, you know, just forcing myself to get something down on the page and then working with it later to make it better. I think with the garden, it was a lot more fluid and natural. Um, you know, I changed some wording and some images here and there, but the overall, um, I guess, like structure and um, setup of the poem sort of stayed the same. Um, but then I've also kind of been surprised by some poems that when I was writing them, I was like, this is quite possibly the worst thing I've ever written. Um, and really just almost like either left them out of the collection or um, replaced them with something else um, that have grown to be very special to me and that I've gotten a lot of feedback on from others um, that have stood out to them in the collection. So the double voice poem about Sarah and Hagar, the princess and the outsider, is one that um, tends to resonate with people a lot. And then... Um, the poem, The Levite's Concubine, which obviously is about um, the very dark and disturbing story of the Levite's Concubine, um, has been kind of a recurring um, text that readers have resonated with. So yeah, those are two that have really surprised me. And then The Garden has been one that's been pretty special to me from the beginning. Awesome. I am. Um, I'm glad to hear I'm not alone with the the princess and the outsider, which is the two voice uh, uh, piece uh, between Sarah and, and Hagar. I just I really love that one. Uh, I think that's probably my favorite out of the collection. Even though the garden is phenomenal as well, all of these are phenomenal. Uh, Thank so you. Please, uh, if, if you're listening today, please uh, consider uh, buying this collection and and just spending some time kind of uh, diving into um, uh, not only the the poetry, but then also back into the biblical text. It really is phenomenal. Um, but I am just waiting, Kirby, and maybe you can help make this happen. I'm waiting for uh, like a live reading of The Princess and the Outsider and like a spoken. Yeah, book. that would be great. Um, so, you know, if you could just make that happen, that'd be, that'd be great. I'll, I'll be there. Uh, I promise. <laughs> um, so, um, but, but going back to the garden, I thought it was such a wonderful kind of way to wrap up the collection. Um, and yeah. as you mentioned, you you read it earlier, but those uh, kind of the, the last um, stanza of your of your piece, um, where it reads, all are welcome to come rest in my garden. Its gates are flung wide open. Your hunger was never a sin. Uh, it's just like a radical reclaiming of, of uh, kind of Eve's perspective uh, within For that sure. uh, uh, text. And um, just really, it was such a, a great way to end the collection. So I can see how the garden continues to resonate with you um, as it will with your readers uh, uh, going forward. So um, with that being said, as we close out today's episode, what parting bit of wisdom would you give to our listeners, especially anyone who is, identifies as female and or queer identifying listeners who are listening in today, um, who might be feeling that stir within them to write and then to share that writing with others? What wisdom would you would you give them? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of my advice kind of um, is encapsulated in those last few lines of the garden about um, your desire and your hunger being not only valid and okay, but also really holy and to kind of lean into that and notice that stirring in you, whether it's to write or create um, or get involved with some kind of activism, um, but really just to 
do what you feel you are called to do to bring out the beauty in the world. Um, and I feel like writing is the best way for me to do that. Um, but there are so many different forms that it can take. Um, my favorite piece of writing advice is that um, an important part of writing is not writing. So sometimes I would feel really like guilty or get really down on myself when I would take like months long breaks from working on the collection. But then I would notice when I came back to it, I had absorbed so much um, just from my experiences and from taking that kind of sabbatical, I guess, um, either from like new insights I had on the text or even just like things I had seen in the natural world that helped with the imagery and the language. Um, so I think it's important to remember that whatever you're doing, like part of the process and part of the growth is um, not in doing that thing, but um, rest and renewal. Thank you so much, Kirby, uh, for not only taking the time to talk with us today, but for sharing your beautiful writing with us. It truly has been a pleasure. And thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. <clears throat> And if you are hearing this, thank you for listening. Uh, you can connect with Kirby via Instagram at kejones19 and purchase your own copy of Regenesis on Amazon. We'll be sure to link it everywhere. Uh, however, you're listening to this podcast today, also on Faithonomics uh, social media accounts, it will be linked. So uh, please uh, search and you and you will find. Um, and we also invite you to learn more about Faithonomics and our work to empower you to bring your bold ideas to life by visiting our website at faithonomics.com. So once again, my name is Ray Slam, your host, and you can connect with me on all your favorite social media platforms at Ray Slam. That's race with a Y, so R-A-Y-C-E-L-A-M-B. And thank you for listening to the Faithonomics podcast, and we will see you next.